This podcast contains explicit language, really explicit language. Listeners of this show should be advised that we will deal with a cult that has certain ideas that are... Um... They're fucked, Paulina. Yeah, they're really fucked. We'll be dealing with all the ist, aughts, and ites. Racists, bigots, anti-Semites, misogyny, certainly. And ooh, eugenics. Kicking it old school with eugenics. Certainly a very old way to be racist. But you've got to remember, MGTOW and everything we're talking about is a cult. Uh, No matter what they say, nothing they say is real. And we love you. We absolutely love you. Thank you for coming along on the ride. And we're sorry already. (laughs) (laughs) A clip coming up later in the show. So we need strong, courageous men, you know, back in the... World War II, you had the paratroopers dropping into Normandy in this chaotic world with a mission that says, we're going to, we might die. I'm scared as hell, but I'm going to jump because I know I have a purpose and this is what I need to do. It's like we need men with purpose and strength to be able to drop inside their lives, their inner lives, and deal with what's going on inside of them and fix what's going on there so we can have safer families, safer men that are able to manage themselves rather than all this anger and rage and hate and violence and who, who's, who's the big strong man and who's got the privilege and power and all this stuff. It's not working. What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, We will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Who the hell am I, you might ask, to me? (laughs) No, wait, hold on. You can't ask that question. I guess you could ask it to me. Who the hell am I? I'd give you not a great answer, because I might not know you that well. Uh, But who the hell am I? Um, I'm Mike Fallick, one of the co-hosts of Hashtag Cold Podcast. Um, Very exciting news, by the way. We're going to start having some guest co-hosts for th- things that we've worked with uh, other creators on. I hate the word creator. Oh, I'm so upset I said <laughs> it. I'm a creator. Oh, really? What planet did you invent? Um, we're going to start having guest co-hosts on the show. Uh, very exciting. Chelsea Conley, Tony Naj, all creators that we've worked with. I did it again! <laughs> Chelsea Conley, inventor of the Martians? 
Martians. Not a word used as much anymore, but what is this podcast? This podcast is about hashtag cults, and we're doing a documentary about MGTOW. By the way, if you've heard this rambling in the beginning and it's your first episode, stop. Go back to the beginning. This is a sequential show. And I want to, right now, for listeners of the show, remember, we're trying to sort of illustrate not just how the documentary is going chronologically, but we're trying to educate you from the beginning. And we're trying to add a perspective. We're starting with the first source. We're starting with... The, the the first person interviews and then moving out towards experts. There's a logic to how we're putting these in order. So please start from the beginning so we can sort of build a language about things. And speaking of which, today we're going to have our first expert interview. And in my opinion, one of the more important ones, Randy Flood. Who's Randy Flood? Here's a clip of him saying who he is. I don't have to say it. Well, I'm Randy Flood. I'm a psychologist. Um, I'm the co-founder and director of the Men's Resource Center of West Michigan, which is an organization that specializes in working with men in particular and seeing men as a special population. And we specialize mostly in running a variety of groups because we believe that getting men together in groups for support and accountability is the best way for them to change and become uh, better men and better versions of themselves. Why is Randy such an important interview? Now I know there's other, there's other guests listening saying was i not you every every guest is just as important as the last every podcast guest every person we interview for the documentary you're all special in your own unique way no but one of the reasons i think that he's really important is because if i were to really trim down what it is that randy does he treats men right but one of the most important things he does is treat pretty much MGTOW men who are in these types of situations, are kind of having this bias towards the world, are scapegoating their anger, aren't able to confront their emotions in a way. And so I flat out asked Randy, hey, has anyone ever come in and said, I'm a MGTOW or I'm a red pill or whatever? I think that they come in through other portals. I don't think that they would come in identifying themselves as being a part of that group and looking for support. Um, I think they are looking for a center that would help them establish their rights and legitimize their grievances. And I think some of them come in through like referrals from um, anger management programs or domestic violence or drunk driving, and they, and they have gotten themselves in some kind of trouble and they're coerced into coming into counseling. And then we discover some of the, their other associations that way. I asked Randy, look, we really as journalists have this back thing in the back of our mind, which is, I hope we're the first one to this story. And in terms of this story, we're not necessarily the first ones. It's been covered before, but people haven't really pushed the idea that it's a problem. People haven't really said, hey, I think they're a cult. That's our big thing here is I think they're being indoctrinated i think they're being brainwashed i don't think they're in a good mental health state and randy felt this right away as well he said yeah these people who act this way are not in a, in a good mental health state because they come into his resource center so he knows that so there was this revelation between the two of us and talking before and in emailing and, and during our conversation which was that it's obvious that someone who acts this way, who takes out their aggression and scapegoats their aggression in order to explain their world isn't fit mental health wise. And it's also obvious that they're hanging out on these forums 
And so I asked Randy, is anyone going and doing anything about this? Where they, We know where they are on the internet. It's not like, you know, you have to hunt down whatever data mining thing you can to get someone's email to get them to buy, you know, diet Mike, that's essentially microwave meals that you pre-cook yourself at home. I have a problem with the meal at your house thing. You'll never hear that was sponsored on the show. Um, you don't need to do any data mining to find where they are. We know where these people are. They're on these forums. So I asked Randy, is there any sense in going onto these forums with mental health professionals to figure out a way to get these guys help? Yeah, I would like to see efforts at doing that. I think there has been some initiatives. There's been one in Michigan, um, a men's psychology initiative with mental health agencies and some coalitions that are gathering. But I don't think um, it has been effective in terms of finding them on the Internet and actually kind of going after them where they're traveling and to be able to somehow kind of interject yourself into those mediums so that you can have access to those young men. If they come onto my website, it's often through um, what that research article you sent me talks about is like they're looking to engage in an argument. They're looking to engage in some hostile communication that makes them feel like they're kind of being a uh, keyboard warrior, as I call them. And so if I publish an article on toxic masculinity or getting help, then I oftentimes will get them to come in and say, you're trying to emasculate us. You're trying to turn us into women. You're part of, you're part of the, the secret world of, of radical feminists who are trying to, you know, be, that are anti-male. And so they, they don't see the Men's Research Center and our mission as legitimate. They see us as being part of the enemy. And that's unfortunate because I think they would experience this as quite different if they could seek services. But the big thing was I wanted to send Randy an article. Uh, Well, (laughs) let's start with a little bit of levity. I don't like the word article anymore. Congratulations, Internet. You've ruined that word for me. Um, And it's not actually what I wanted to send him. Uh, I actually read in an article that you shouldn't say article. What I wanted, what I did send him was a study, was a paper published, which was oft confused with certain things. We have an interview later on where someone tried to claim that the word toxic masculinity was in the DSM. Now, toxic masculinity is one of these very interesting words. Um, language is a key theme to our entire podcast. Words getting co-opted, words getting transformed, words getting power and meaning via abuse, words being dismissed because they're just words and toxic masculinity is an interesting one because it starts as an idea and now people are trying to define it and understand it and i i sent this study that defined the term toxic masculinity for their study which was um a tendency i i maybe we'll drop it in later and i really want to hear it's going to come up in a later episode but they defined it. And I, sa- I said to Randy, I don't really understand this study. It's the only place that I see officially using the word toxic masculinity in a study. Um, can you read this study and tell us about it? And here's what he had to say. Yeah, masculine depression, um, there's other names for it. <clears throat> it's a covert depression, um, like a hidden depression. Because when we think of depression in a classical sense, um, we think of someone who's sad, who's withdrawn, <clears throat> who's um, isolated, 
um, who, who's um, sleeping all the time, um, having suicidal ideation, some of the some of those kind of um, features. Where masculine depression is where men are externalizing depression, where they're they're using behaviors to make themselves feel better. Because male socialization is about action, is about taking charge of your life. And so classic depression doesn't wear well on a man. And so oftentimes they'll use substances, there'll be sexual acting out, there'll be violence, there'll be workaholism, there'll be some hyper-competitiveness, something that is medicating their depression, but it look, it's so deceiving because it doesn't look like depression. So that's why they're calling it masculine depression or covert depression. Randy went on to explain how someone gets in that way. Explain it to me clinically was sort of my question. How does somebody get that way? And we're actually going to have two episodes of Randy Flood because Randy is really good at connecting what I feel we've failed to do on the show. <laughs> As a documentarian, I don't actually have to do it. I can get a smart expert to say it like Randy. Randy connects well, we, the term we use on this show, which is a long leash of misogyny. The idea that we allow what are almost blatantly bad mental health behaviors, abusive behaviors to go because they're misogynistic. And he connects that with the problem most men that need mental health care are going through. And so we're going to have two episodes where Randy talks about his views on society at large and how that contributes to the manliness and to the the problem of manliness and to the problem of mental health in men. But in this instance, we're going to just talk about his clinical experience on this episode. I've sort of cut it up. In this next clip, he talks about incels. Um, he's talking about just in general as an example incels. As we mentioned before, there's a lot of frustration in um, getting the word incel to be replaced with MGTOW when it's MGTOW. Uh, and I'll talk about that, but after he says this, let's listen to the clip. Well, I think if, like you said, if someone has had experience of trauma, they've had um, emotional pain in their life and they feel isolated, they haven't had success in the man pack, they haven't been able to, um, like the incels, the, the involuntary... Um, um, celibates. What's, yeah, involuntary celibates. You know, they haven't had success with girls, they're not picked. Um so these people are lonely, they're, 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 they're oftentimes depressed, and so they're looking for something that gives them a sense of purpose and meaning and identity. And then when they go out into the internet world, they often will find those communities that legitimize that they're, they have aggrieved entitlements. They have a collector of grievances that, you know, all these failures, all these things that people are doing to me that to not giving me my rights as a man. And that's what they're looking for online. And so I mentioned the societal view thing because he talks about the Randy talks about the pack. He talks about the idea of being accepted. And there's actually like a few things that editing this interview made me think of. One of the ways that MGTOWs and Red Pill cults mention to us that they get sucked into this stuff is pickup artist and dating advice. Um, and, and we very clearly see the connection between dating advice videos and, and MGTOW and all these different things. But something we haven't researched, and maybe reach out if you've seen it, is if there's this same, and we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about uh, people that identify as MGTOW who are women or, or identify as men's rights. We're talking more about 
the same thing happening in the world of dating advice for straight women. Are there more groups than we see? We've heard about femcel, but we've kind of dismissed it because investigative-wise, it was too complicated to work into our narrative. But it made me think, you know, people are seeking out these videos and then getting sucked in this way. And this, this pack mentality that Randy talks about really makes me think if that's applicable um, to the idea of a cult-like group happening, um, especially considering this cult really sort of is a cult while at the same time convincing themselves they are manly, they're inv individuals, they're not together, but yet they all identify as MGTOW. One of the frustrations we have is getting people to say MGTOW instead of incel. And I'll tell you what my problem is. The problem is, is they're not the same thing. <laughs> it's one of the things that comes up earlier in the thing, which is to say, I was concerned for my friend and he tried to correct me that they're not the same thing. And I think that's a mistake on my part for not hearing that. But at the same time, that wasn't what I was talking about to my friend. I was saying, you have these attitudes, these attitudes have creeped in. And I really didn't understand the group he was in at the time when he said, incel is different from MGTOW. I really just wanted to get to shake my friend loose. And I've said time and time again, my biggest regret in the show is not looking up really an intervention, not getting the research from him and trying to, to, to come back at it. But there's honestly only so much you can do when you have an intervention for someone that's already distancing themselves from you, already pushing you away, already sort of insulating themselves in your life. So I had that one bite at the apple pretty much to to talk to him. Enough of my regrets and taking on everyone else's guilt and mental health is my responsibility. <laughs> the point is, is that they're not the same. And we come across the same Wikipedia type knowledge that I guess maybe I portrayed or might have portrayed in that intervention, which is to say, well, they're the same thing. You believe the same stuff. They aren't. And I was just on a podcast recently and I said it really well. I said it in two ways. One, we don't call Christian cults, just, you know, oh, these Christian cults. We don't group them as the same, even though there are groupings that help. We don't call a forum online about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones the same thing. We call, we, we call them what they are, a forum about... And so, I'm trying to figure out a way to really get that to people because if you start grouping this as a more massive problem, it's actually one of the ways they hide in plain sight. They become men's stuff. It gets grouped into the long leash of misogyny. So this pack thing really gave me more questions than answers. Here's the next clip. <clears throat> well, I think that when you're looking at mental health and, and such, I think that um, the indices that we look at, um, um, you know, being able to have a sense of purpose and meaning, not being depressed, not being anxious, not having delusional thinking, um, and being able to adapt to society and being able to have relationships. I think that they, they, they seek out those kind of places because it, it does provide a buoy from mental health issues. It's like if I'm isolated and I'm feeling low self-esteem about who I am as a man and I connect with a community like that, all of a sudden they can give me a sense of not being isolated anymore a sense of being part of a community, and they're making me feel better about myself again because they're telling me that my belief systems and what has happened to me are not my fault. Mm -hmm. 
And so all of a sudden, they can experience an uplift, uh, an uptick from maybe some of the mental health conditions. And all of a sudden, I'm not as anxious anymore. So I'll let that speak for itself because I've, you know, talked a lot about the pack thing and I have more questions, but it was well said. And the next question is always with cults, always with cults is, you know, why? I think, I think for anyone who isn't looking at the model of cults, which is some sort of brainwashing involved, some sort of coercion involved, an abusive relationship involved, um, a kind of leading on to, 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 to cope in a certain way. If you don't look at it from coping skills, if you don't look at it from an abuser setting up a situation in which you need the cult for coping skills, your first instinct is to go, what does this do? Like, why is this this person's life? Why be on the internet yelling on videos? Why, why be doing this? Why being on these forums? Why being? Why am I talking that way? Why be on these forums? Why do this? Why do any of this? And the thing that we've heard from every cult expert, from every mental health expert about shouting and scapegoating is unequivocally, hey, at first, it works. I think it's similar to what like alcohol and pornography use um, can do for someone. If it, initially, it, 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 it does work. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Um, it does provide some kind of relief. Um, but then if you start getting... Um, compulsive about it and that becomes kind of your primary means of being able to feel better, then over time you need in an increase in dose and frequency, more interaction, and then you, you become increasingly withdrawn and isolated from real human interactions and in society that's, that's, that's telling you that these type of belief systems are not functional. And then you become more reliant on those communities and you get further and further sucked in. And then you start experiencing the mental health problems you were running from. Mm -hmm. And that happens, of course, with pornography addiction or alcoholism or drug addiction, is that over time, the accumulation of using that to feel better actually has an inverse effect and you end up getting worse. And in this next clip, I mentioned this on our episode about mud fossil. And it's a long slog being a journalist. People can do things for you. People can't do things for you. You're going to find sources. You're going to not find sources. You're scheduling all these things. You're telling a narrative that isn't clear because, you know, I mean, a common experience is we'll go to an expert who is adjacent to the to the subject. I mentioned uh, Jonas Woman, a, a dietitian. I keep saying nutritionist. I'm going to I'm going to spank my own hand. Um, please don't spank your hands. Uh, you know. If someone doesn't see the issue as a whole, if they don't know exactly where you're coming at it, then when you approach them, sometimes, sometimes even experts in the field will be like, well, what does this have to do with anything? You know, I did a documentary about dieting and I asked a psychologist, hey, could you could you be on camera to give like sort of a basic 101 of how therapy works and how Freudian therapy works, R.E like eating and pooping, which is a, a big thing in Freudian therapy. And the person pretty much told me like, oh, can't you just look it up? It's like, yeah, I can, but I'm not an expert. <laughs> so we want you to come on and explain it, even the basic facts in a really right way. So you run into even that where someone is an expert and wants to help, but they don't see 
you know, oh, that person, that person was a jerk, not in that story, but other instances of people that I've talked to in this where they want to help and they go, I don't see how it fits. So as a, especially as a documentarian, you're trying to fit pieces before the other people see the whole story. So when it came to London Wombeam talking about mud fossil and talking to Chris Shelton about the problems on the internet and talking to Randy Flood about problems with men, there were moments where I was just like, oh, somebody gets it. And that's illustrated in this conversation about, uh, and the other experts got it. Rachel Bernstein understood it. Calm down, everyone. But it's just like when someone sees the whole picture before you even need to say anything, it's really relieving. And this conversation about SEO is not only really enlightening about the problem, but showed that we were on the same page. SEO means search engine optimization. Don't worry, we've got an episode explaining it later. Calm down. Even if I type Michigan, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, they're coming up way before anything that, that, that like real, real mental health professionals are doing. Yeah, you, at SEO, it's like uh, it's like if Google could help us out a little bit. But um, yeah, I think that that the, the prolific writing um, makes their their sites um, Google recognizes it as popular, as dynamic, um, and so they are going to get higher rankings. Um, and and they're also interacting with other websites, you know, so that cross fertilization, so that also ma- makes them look more um, more reputable and more um, important. And so I, I don't claim to be an expert on trying to figure out how to crack all of that <laughs> and figure, figure out how to, how to intervene and make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Um, I, I think that we just need to continue to do a better job in reaching out to young men and providing them opportunities to redefine masculinity and revision masculinity into a more contemporary one where they don't see that that the pursuit of the, the pursuit of masculinity is not about um, developing half your humanity and and to not see that communication skills emotional intelligence relationship skills as being as being feminine and traits for only women but seeing that those are human traits and those are traits that are required in the 21st century to be fit and complete and, and when you pursue and develop those um, traits and skills that doesn't negate masculinity you can still be competitive you can still pursue and dominate in the right context and i think it's just about helping men understand the value of being a a more complete flexible balanced human being rather than some old school version of masculinity and thinking that the world is somehow going to devolve and help you become you know in the 1950s guy again it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. We're going to move forward as a human species, and it's either you're going to be fit and adapt. It's very Darwinian. Um, we're, you know, these people are trying to pull back, make America great again, go back to this earlier version when we had hierarchy and we had power in certain segments of society and men had power in patriarchy, not women. And there's just all this anxiety and nervousness about evolving and growing. And I say, let's, let's evolve and grow. Let's get some basics on what we're talking about when we say toxic masculinity. Spoiler alert, I don't like the word toxic masculinity. And I'm going to say it in the interview a little later to Randy. But let's, let's ignore it, actually. Ignore the word toxic masculinity. Let's talk about the work that Randy Flood and his colleagues are doing to define the problems a male mind faces in society that can be treated or need to be treated or can fester and become worse. 
Here's this clip. My co-author Charlie Donaldson and I came up with that term masculopathy, and you might have seen that on our website. Um, others call it toxic masculinity, and there's some of the academic literature call it hegemonic masculinity. Um, and again, what it's trying to do is just trying to def define this unhealthy version of masculinity that's not going to work for men in the 21st century. And some people hear that as anti-male, anti-masculinity, a war on men. And again, that's why I often refer to evolution of consciousness. If you can't think more critically about it, then you get into this black and white old gender binary. You're either working with the males or you're working with the females, and they can't can't see the the the, the benefits and the health of, of that integration. And so I think that when we look at what it takes to be fit today traditional masculinity and in the American Psychological Association now is defined, they say call it traditional masculinity, which I don't like. I like more toxic or masculopathy or hegemonic. They're looking at that as it's a, it works again, against your mental health. So the American Psychological Association is, is defining this form of toxic masculinity where we don't raise boys to stay connected to their hearts. We don't raise boys to understand their emotions and, how, and understand the importance of emotional intelligence. We don't raise boys to think of how to have connections in, that are beyond sexual connections or beyond just competing with teams. And so we want to see that as an unhealthy socialization process so that we can raise more healthy boys and men. And that's why we define toxicity as it is with, with masculinity, and we come up with these words because we believe that there's been a problem with no name. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to come up with names to be able to define it, um, and they're not, it's not anti-male. It's very, very pro-human. You've heard that. Now I pretty well represent what I'm going to say next to Randy, which is I don't think the word toxic masculinity works. Here's this clip. I know that it's helpful for psychologists to use the word toxic masculinity, but it reminds me of the days of yore in psychology where we would say female hysteria and things like that. It sounds, I don't think it's a good brand. It sounds outdated to me. Do you think that the word toxic masculinity is going to help? You know, anorexia is primarily uh, suffered by women. Right. But we don't call it female anorexia. You know, we, we just call it anorexia. Do, do you think that, that this, this recent naming is part of the problem, too, is that it's, it's kind of an outdated way to name something? I, I agree that uh, toxic masculinity or masculopathy is not, not an inviting name. It's, it's, I think we know we have a problem. We're just trying to figure out what to call it. Um, and so I think, and it seems like every time we try to come up with something, um, it's not it's not good enough, or it's criticized, or it's misunderstood. Um, I'm not so sure um, what the next generation is going to call it, but I think as a construct, or as a as a social problem, as a as a um, social toxicity, or whatever you want to call it, that we we know what we're talking about. Similar to you know Betty Friedan said there was a problem with no name when she was trying to understand why these women who had everything they had the white picket fence they're in the suburbs they had the great china they had the, you know the perfect furniture everything was great their husband was successful and they were depressed um <clears throat> and they're running for the shelter of mother's little helper and so they were trying to say what is going on um and so what is it what they call it uh, feminine mystique or they call it uh they 
had different names for it, but I think that's the same thing that's happening with the men's movement. We're trying to figure out what to call it. Um, and I'm open to coming up with new names, but what I really think is important is that we continue to have the discussion. Mm-hmm. And we're, and we're naming it through phrases and descriptions and, I, and um, concepts and paradigms, at least. Mm-hmm. I'll expound just a little, because I've talked about it a lot and I've hinted at it a lot, but I'd like to just say for an instance why I don't like the word toxic masculinity. When you look at the word female hysteria, I think you're going to be reticent to find a modern woman who's like, I'm going to go and get treated for female hysteria. And I think the biggest issue is these men are gross on the internet because of their mental health problems, because they're either so extreme into it, like MGTOW, they're sort of indoctrinated and getting into it all the way up to when they first find MGTOW. They're just an angry person who doesn't understand the world and doesn't understand why sex isn't working out for them. And all these things are being thrown at them about sex and being a man, and they might have other mental health things going on. And so this becomes this outward expression that can go all the way from saying disgusting things that make people afraid of them on the internet up to violence, being an abuser, being an abuser, an abuser, being in the the abuse cycle and, and being, you know, violent all the way up until that. And my main problem is what Randy's going to talk about next, which is if that's their issue, their issue is I don't understand what's going on in me and I am going to blame the world and I'm going to act out and I'm going to become worse and worse and worse and worse and rage more and rage more and rage more. And that's how I'm going to solve my mental health problem. The biggest part of that issue in them being gross is that we're still treating them like the way they act. We're still treating men who act this way as if they have no recourse, as if, as if them being horrible because of, mental health problems is them and so we're allowed to be mean to them and so in my mind if you want to show these people love rename get rid of the word masculinity in everything we're doing with these problems just make it a generic mental health problem because there is a huge issue about men going to get therapy it's a big problem all people resisting getting therapy in general and i'm not going to talk about it because i'm not the expert but i asked randy why there's this the reason i'm against it is because of this huge issue of getting men to go see therapy and i don't think toxic masculinity is going to get them in a door i made other suggestions i said atlas complex as i've said on the show before i think that that's more inviting you have the weight of the world on your shoulders this physique and power that you want to display i think that that's a more inviting name and i really want people to try and get it out there and stop using toxic masculinity and start using atlas disorder but or atlas complex whatever i said the first time that was it so i asked randy blood why aren't men getting therapy getting help for mental health getting help in mental health treatment it's antithetical to being male meaning that if you look at traditional masculinity men are taught to go it alone you know marlboro man ethos you know it's like you just you kind of you're a rugged individualist you figure things out on your own and you don't have to ask for help. We, I mean, we have a hard time getting men to ask, stop and ask for directions. Um, now that's kind of an old, um, an old <laughs> thing because you just got your phone. You can ask Google. But 
but um, I think what happens is is that for a man to to say that he's got an emotional problem or a mental problem makes them feel like less of a man, makes them feel like they're not man enough. And now I'm going to make it worse by asking for help mm-hmm. um, and, and, and seeking it out, you know. And again, the mental health community, that's why we like um, – have a specialty counseling for men is because again the mental health community is seen as quite feminine you're going to come in you're going to sit down um and you're going to talk about your feelings and you're going to have a kleenex next to your chair just in case you get in some tears um there's so much about it that is just so anti-masculine that it's not attractive to men mm-hmm. that are kind of stuck in this old school way of what it means to be a man and so i think to be able to do a better job um, as mental health professionals to be more inviting to men. I always talk about you go you 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 hire someone to help you with your with your golf game, you hire someone to help you with your you know portfolio for investments, you hire someone to help you know build you a house. There's so much about asking for help as a man that can be acceptable, and we gotta reformulate how asking for help when it comes to spiritual, emotional, and relational issues, is also about not being weak, but it's also about being wise and smart. And Randy has a unique perspective on this. I float a few ideas in this, which is to say, you know, well, what if we get, you know, golf experts? What if we get, what if we make it golf lessons and therapy? Xbox and therapy is a way that I think men could come in the door. But Randy's view on it is PAX. Randy's view on it is men do things in groups. They got to see other men do it. Mm-hmm. It's a smart way to live. And so that's a reframing of what it means to ask for help. And that's why we also run groups. Because I don't think men like to sit one-on-one for weeks upon weeks trying to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for men. They, there's too much of an attrition rate. So we get men in groups because that kind of being with other men and listen to other men talk to each other about real stuff that's behind the curtain and putting down the projection of the powerful Oz and being honest with people. Once they taste that, it's very nutritious. Mm-hmm. And then they see other men doing it and it gives them permission, that modeling and that sense of connection, the sense of teamwork, and they gravitate toward that and they like that and it keeps them engaged and keeps them in the seat. You know, we have some episodes coming up with comedians and artists, and I'm, I come from comedy. I've always brought comedy into my documentaries, even when they're serious issues. Um, and I really believe that one of the methods that's super unique about this documentary is saying, hey, we need to be as interesting. And we're going to talk about this at length with Chelsea Conley and Tony Naj, but the idea is if you're angry and if you don't care about anyone's feelings and if you find a group of people who also don't care about other people's feelings of course it's going to be more fun of course you're going to be funnier and of course you're going to be you know more have more abandon about what you say so i really want to talk about pitching better you know there's a real anti-wokeness. There's people who are woke and like that word and like that term. And then there's an anti-wokeness. And the problem with someone who hears that YouTube... To- oh, by the way, I tweeted this. Welcome to another edition of Michael Talks About a Tweet that will not get enough credit. Okay. Someone is saying that influencers are going to have like live shopping. And as soon as I said that, I commented to 
this person asking this question like, oh, it's, it's QVC. And I started laughing. That's how a lot of people sound to me is QVC, the home shopping network is like, there is this thing where people want to talk in this very rote, overly mature, overly sure way, overly joyous way. And it sounds like QVC to people that are getting in this group. That's one of the, that's a very, 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 very small thing. But when it comes to videos, when it comes to media, they are for sure responding to the fact that we have this QVC talk about stuff. The tweet was great. It was talking how influencers talk like they're on QVC, except the thing that they're selling me is how much they love their dog. It's a solid tweet. And uh, you don't care about Twitter. Here's the next clip. You know, I I had this vision of, of the golf pro uh, a psychologist, you know, it doesn't seem like a, a too far off thing to do. I mean, I know that I know this sounds crude, but I know that um, when kids uh, have trauma, we often have toys in the room for them. Would having uh, one of those big nets, you know, that you can swing a golf ball into inside of psychologist's office, is, is, <laughs> is that all it takes? No, I think that those creative ways of trying to get men engaged, it's, 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 it's all about it, whatever it takes. Um, um, it's also about just reformulating things like courage. I mean, you get uh, guys in a group, um, it's like, do you have the courage to talk about your interior life and reveal your interior life to other men? Why, why, uh, uh, why are you so scared of sh- sharing your feelings? You know, you can almost use, use the, old, the old shaming voice of man up. Don't be so, don't don't be such a don't be such a pussy. Don't be so afraid to share your feelings, to share what's really going on. Why do you always have to project this image of power, success, and and, and make yourself look untouchable like you're Teflon and nothing bothers you? It's a lie. It's a, it's it's not, not real. You're not being authentic. <laughs> I come love in that. here and talk. Come in here and talk about your life. Be real. Be a man. Be strong. Be able to stand in the fire, stand in the crucible where you can feel the fire and then you can bend and change and transform and modify yourself. Being sturdy as an oak, you're just going to break someday. It's not going to work for you. I I often think that that's uh, the the inability for psychologists to be aggressive in pitching as opposed to the ability of someone online who has a harmful way of, of, you know, that was a very empowering you know, speech you just gave. I think that people are really resistant to talk that way because it there's a problem with looking out of control. Um, but that is what attracts men in a lot of cases is this controlled, you know, rage. But interestingly and ironically, if you don't talk about it, you often act it out. Mm-hmm. So you, if you don't go into the mercurial world of your emotions and try to figure out what's going on inside of you and deal with all of that combustion and all that stuff that's going on, then it comes, comes out and kind of busts out of you and is this explosion with domestic violence and road rage and bar fights and you know, fights in the street, shooters blowing up our public spaces. It's like, if you want to know what's going on inside of a man and all the pain and anger and frustration and loneliness and shame that, that he can't deal with inside of himself, it's all in our streets. It's in our homes. Mm-hmm. So the, the, to the extent that men can deal with the chaos inside themselves, there's going to be less chaos in our world. This next one's a pretty sensitive issue 
because I know plenty of plenty of my friends, especially in the world of film, have learning disabilities, whatever it may be across the board. I'm not going to list every person I know with a learning disability, but the fact is, is we see a lot of bad reading comprehension. We see a lot of, you know, typos in weird ways. We see a lot of, if I'm being frank, native English speakers not typing well. Chris Shelton has suggested maybe hypographia has something to do with it. Again, that's not our range. But I asked the expert, is there any connection between these things? Is there any connection between having a learning disability and, and maybe having, you know, it, it being in this place? Is it, is it a problem for the men you see if they're one of the type, if they come in there and they have a learning disability? I just asked. Listening is an interesting question. This is a long shot because I haven't actually seen anything about it, but... Um you know, we see an inability to not disagree, but to not listen with a lot of the, these guys. And, and I don't mean that in a, a metaphysical way in the way that we're talking before. I mean, in a, in a literal way, we see a lot of typos and kind of not understanding English. We see a lot of like, you know, almost talking about the opposite. Have, have you experienced anything with learning disabilities and men and, and anger and, and this masculine depression or anything like that? I do think, again, as we were talking about early earlier, that, that there's a lot of emphasis on men to find their identity in being successful, powerful, and performing masculinity. So if you have a deficit um, in some sort, you're not built to be athletic, for example, or you're not, you're not good looking and you're not naturally able to build muscle, um, you're not intelligent, you have a learning disability, so you can't write very well. Um, all these things affect your ability to perform masculinity because so much about being a man is performance. You're only as good as your next performance. You know, you can be the man of the hour <clears throat> in one golf game and you can be like shit in another one. You know, it's like you got it. It's all about performance. And so if you have a disability, that causes you to feel shame and insecurity and anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so you, rather than get help for it again, because you can't get help as a man, um, you don't you don't talk about it or you hide it, mm -hmm. and it leaks out. We see it, right? Typos <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know. It eventually shows up, um, but they end up feeling less than and feeling inferior because because of it, rather than seeing it as just part of the human experience. And we all have blemishes and flaws. Mm -hmm. And as Brene Brown talks about, that uh, there's power in being able to show our vulnerability. That's the way in which we connect as human beings is by being more honest and real with people. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm trying to push is that you need to give these cult members from MGTOW a soft place to land. And there's the issues we've already talked about with scapegoating. And we've talked to other cult experts and other people in cults who say the aggressiveness that telling me I'm wrong and doing all those things never got me out of what I was in. It made me go further in. But Randy points out how, and so for us, we've shut down our comment section because if any video becomes a MGTOW forum, and also I did try responding really nicely to them and it didn't quite work. But it was the more honorable, more reasonable thing to do. And we did get to talk to some of them and get to know some of them because we did that. And so I'm proud of that work. But I asked Randy, you know, 
this. I don't have to tell you. This time I included the question. I mean, we have the opinion that you really shouldn't be arguing with these people, um, which is, is kind of what I want to lead into next. But, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, they, they seemingly always want to be winning. And therefore, when they say they'll say things that they think we don't notice. And it's like, no, we, we're being polite and not pointing it out and dragging you through the mud. Um, right. And I think that that speaks to that performance thing you're talking about is uh, they're always they have to win more than just winning the argument. Right. It's a, it, again, it's a, the one upmanship. It's like, you know, so it's like if if you're being polite and they're being, you know, super aggressive verbally with you and they one up you and, and you don't take it up a notch, then they because of your desire to be civil and polite and don't want to engage, then all of a sudden they beat you. And see, you are a weak man. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can't engage in this tough conversation and outwit me or out, you know, you know, with these um, demeaning words or derisive words. You, you're not, you're not willing to engage in that. That's too, that's too nice. You've been too civilized. Um, you're part of that culture, um, and so they they can walk away from that argument again, feeling like they won. And so that, that's part of the reason why they go into those arguments and, and engagements. And I get that all the time on my website. And once I smell that, I, I, I disengage because I just know where it's going to go. And it's just, I don't have the time. So I flat out asked Randy as well, do you have these people on your site? Do you have these people fine? Because we found, you know, MGTOW people in uh, culty programmer and cult therapist. Cult, I think it's just culty programmer and cult expert. Rick Ross. I'm not going to give him therapist. And even if he is, today I withdraw that title from you for the queen. No, if you are a therapist, Rick Ross, I'm sorry. Cult expert, Rick Ross. You know, we found MGTOW that we had interviewed on his forums, on his website, on the Cult Education Institute's website. So they know about him. And so I asked Randy, do you experience stuff with these types of aggressive men? Well, I, it depends on what article, what 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 you know, particular thing they're they're talking about. I think the thing that gets um, people, you know, the most angry about is when when we're trying to just use a word to describe the problem, like toxic masculinity or hegemonic masculinity, or you know, um, that's usually when we get the most traffic. When people are saying, "Oh, masculinity is not toxic," mm-hmm. it's like, well, if I'm if I'm working on toxic air. I'm not anti-air, you know, if I'm trying to deal with food poisoning, I'm not anti-food, you know, (laughs) I'm dealing with the toxic aspects of masculinity, you know, there's all shadow sides of everything, you know, it's like when the person who created a couch didn't think that there were going to be couch potatoes, you know. Uh, One of the interesting elements of a hashtag cult is that they are unorganized as an evolution to not seem like a culty type group. Um, I don't think that's in their mind, but we're all individuals is something MGTOW says. And one of the things that they'll try to jump when you confront them on, hey, there are people in this group that believe this. There's a lot of people that believe this. There's a lot of people that are indoctrinated into this thing. You'll have people stand up and say, well, I don't believe those things. And it's going to be obvious what Randy's talking about. I, by the way, I, I hear myself doing it like Trailer Park Boys, and I'm sorry. Um, Randy! Uh, but the level of indoctrination, because you don't believe it, and the next guy over does in this type of group, all that means is that over time, if you spend enough time with them, if they get enough of their hooks in you, 
you might move towards that. You might move towards the more extreme, especially when talking about the type of scapegoating and, you know, getting out that frustration by, by raging that Randy has talked about and that we talked about with uh, Dr. Drew as well. Um, but I asked, what is an effective way to talk to these people? Is there an effective way to actually speak to anybody online? Well, I do think that, you know, everything is on a spectrum. And I think that there are some people that are not that, um, you know, it's if you, you're talking about it almost like a cult following. And so you think of a, anybody who's immersed in a, in a cult, there's a, there's a process to get to the point where you're completely gone, you know, in terms of brainwashed or all your social connections only come from that cell of people. Um, that, that, that person is hard to reach, but I think you get someone who's kind of on that spectrum and moving in that direction, but yet there's still parts of them that are willing to be open and learn. Then you can see the engagement actually have an intellectual, um, kind of a debate to it where they're actually listening and, and I will point them to other articles on our website or I'll link something and they'll, they'll actually read it, um, um, and then they'll comment Shocking. on it. And, yeah, or like they'll comment on my article and I said, did you see this line in the article? Because your critique is, doesn't look like you read this part. And then if they actually engage, then that tells me we're moving in a direction of an actual debate and engagement. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't have a problem with debating people and, and having different ideologies and kind of you having an intellectual argument with me. But if it's just about me using this, that person using my website or my article or my comments section just to kind of, you know, act out and try to posture and try to make themselves feel better. And I feel like I'm being prostituted. You know, it it feels dirty um, and it feels like a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. If they want to come into my office and pay my professional fees, (laughs) but I'm not going to spend my free time, you know, commenting with them. And, and this was another moment. We're going we're gonna to stop the episode about Randy Flubb right now, but this was another moment where it was like, this is an expert. This guy treats and talks to these people and gets through to them for a living. And so it was kind of this wave of relief to go, oh, he can't even do it. He doesn't even have a plan yet to talk to these people. We're doing almost just as good as the, the well-trained guy because I do have regrets in not being able to speak to them for long periods of time, to keep them calm. You know, we have these long interviews with someone like Codename Tom or uh, any of the other MGTOWs we talk to. Um, We are able to have it, but it doesn't last. We have conversations that are okay. They don't last. And so it was relieving to hear that Randy's at a loss as well. And we'll leave you today with this clip that I think we'll play at the end of both episodes. Um, But... We'll see you next week for Randy Flood Part 2 about societal pressures that drive men to behave this way and how we as men can fix it or as people, you too, you over there, people in general. But I'm, I'm more, I want to really push on the show. This is men's fault that this is happening. It's men who are the victims. It's men who are indoctrinated. It's men with the power in society. So we can stop this sort of imagery for it. I'll tell you something, less manly today. I wore makeup. I wear, well, first of all, I wear makeup a lot, but I wore makeup the other day because I just, I wasn't around anyone. I just wanted to not look at this thing on my face. That's considered less manly. 
I'll say it. Maybe we'll start saying something less manly at the end, less stereotypically manly at the end of the show. Do you like that segment? If not, keep it to yourself. <laughs> uh, no, tell me. No, tell a secret person who then has to tell me. Here's Randy Flood being very wise. Is, yeah. is there any actual benefit to masculinity? Is there any actual... Um, is there something that goes on with saying this identifies you as a man as opposed to this identifies you as a good person? Is there any actual benefit to that? I, I think that um, I mean, Tracy Chapman, you know, said that we need to start all over in her song with new symbols, you know, now new statues, <laughs> um, new ways of looking at things. And I think that, our, you know, trying to remember that as humans, we use language to try to connect and describe things. And I, you know, I think that masculinity and femininity is just energy. Is how I look at it. It's, it's human energy, and, <clears throat> and masculine energy is kind of like hard, harder human traits, more aggressive, more different, crystallized. Where feminine energy is just softer. And tr trying to see that there's benefits to to both kinds of energy, and and trying not to get them so associated and connected to gender. Hmm. You know, it's like there is sex differences, but then this gender construction is a whole socialization, socialization and culturation process. So again, when we think of feminine, we think of the sex of women. When we think of you know masculinity, we think of the sex of of, of males. And I think as the society, you know, there's gender fluidity and there's new languages that we're coming up with. But the sooner we can start seeing the value of both, it's like if, if, I, I, if I have a pillow, I want my pillow to be soft. I don't want it to be hard as a rock. But if I'm going to go play basketball, I want to make sure my basketball court and my ball is hard enough that it bounces. I don't want it to be soft because I can't play. So just in our physical world we see that context matters. Whether something's soft or hard, whether something's fast or slow, um, whether something's big or small, we understand that depending on the context, there's power and value in one or the other. And so the more in which we can raise human beings to have more tools in their toolbox, um, the more that they can read the context, the social context, and then pull from them the human energy and the human traits that's needed to adapt and function and thrive in that situation. And we had an old society where there was that gender binary in kind of the man's world, the woman's world. Then we raise men and women in a box to perform in those separate worlds. How much of our worlds are so integrated now? You know, we're working together and we're, you know, it's just, we're, it's, they play, women are playing sports. It's, it's just so integration. So why don't we just get smarter, smarter about our socialization and enculturation process so we can equip these humans to function?